I'm the only elected legislator in the entire country to be arrested for peacefully and patriotically protesting the stolen election on January 6th. Here's my video. Check it out for yourself. We're in. We're in. Derek Evans is in the Capitol. Let's go. Hey. God bless you. Hey. God bless you, sir. Freedom! 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 Hey! We're in. Oh my gosh! Hey! No destruction of anything! No vandalizing property! No vandalizing! Hey, no vandalizing! No vandalizing! Because of what you saw in that video, I was ultimately facing 24 years in prison. To make a long story short, I had an 18-month legal battle, I did three months in federal prison, and I did eight days of solitary confinement because I refused the COVID vaccine while they were holding me hostage. All of that because the illegitimate Biden regime stole the election from President Trump and the American people, and I had the courage to exercise my natural God-given rights of free speech to stand up and peacefully and patriotically protest the stolen election. On January 6th, and at the time of my arrest, I'd just been elected to the West Virginia State House. Obviously, I'm out of prison now. Instead of running for my old seat in the State House, I decided that I was going to run for U.S. Congress because I'm going to take this battle to their front door the same way they brought it to mine. Uh, look, we're right now in a battle for the future of this country. This is not a time for weak politicians. This is not a time for patty cake politics. We need America first patriots, America first fighters who are willing to stand up and actually fight to save America. I look forward to uh, pushing President Trump's America first policies in Congress. And I look forward to standing beside of President Trump on the national stage as we beat the drum of freedom, not only for my district here in West Virginia, but for every single God-fearing American conservative across this country. Uh, thank you guys for taking the time to watch this video. Thank you for sharing it. God bless you guys, and God bless the United States of America. The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests on Patriots with Grit do not necessarily reflect those of Patriots with Grit LLC, its founders, and owners. Get ready for truth bombs and guidance from conservative leaders and entrepreneurs from God-fearing, freedom-loving, truth-telling, patriotic Americans. Welcome to Patriots with Grit. Now let's jump into today's episode with your host, Darren Ross. Hey everybody, we have a true American patriot on our show today here at Patriots with Grit. He is a grassroots J6 prisoner running for Congress in the great state of West Virginia. We're going to be right back today with Mr. Derek Evans. You flu shot that body and now you spike vax that body. You shouldn't get Spikevax if you've had an allergic reaction to Spikevax or its ingredients. Rare cases of inflammation of the heart muscle and outer lining have been reported. The most common side effects are injection site pain, redness and swelling, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills. Actually, we could demonstrate the uh, spike protein in practically all organs. The vaccines have ravaged the population. The spike protein is proven to cause four major domains of disease. Spikevax that body with Spikevax by Moderna. Then you can see also that the nerve cells express the spike protein. And I personally would uh, prefer to use my nerve cells for thinking and not for producing the spike protein. Derek, thanks for being on here today at Patriots with Grit. We have uh, Randy here as my co-host, and he's playing Barry White today with the voice. He has some uh, some funny things going, don't you? Yeah, I do. So <laughs> it might do something to the women as they listen to this show, yeah, but uh, last week it was me. So anyway, Derek, we met you in August, uh, what was it, 2023? Just a few months ago. Yeah. At Mike Lindell's event in Springfield, Missouri. We were out in the ho uh, lobby in the hallway talking and uh, found out you were a, a, a J6 felon. And with my gosh, Randy, I could I could feel the how, evil. I, I, how could we not have security around us? We were talking to a fellow. <laughs> yeah. and, and as we get into the show more, he's going to be one of the most notorious felons, especially in the uh, 
uh, federal prison that he was in with all the other notorious criminals. Some, yeah. some big, big gangbangers. Hey, can I, can I ask, did they make you get a tattoo or anything while you were in there? No, actually, I told my wife going in, I was like, I'm, I, was, I had a bucket list. I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo on there. And she's like, you do realize you can potentially get hepatitis. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Never mind. Oh, so, man. Well, I thought in Springfield you had the tear on the. On, oh, I, my God. I thought, didn't you? And I think you had it removed, Randy. Since, <laughs> since, so, so yeah. Derek, we, we met you. We had a long conversation. We we're trying to get you on the show. Uh, you have a phenomenal story. You're running for Congress in West Virginia. I know you're a big pro life advocate. Uh, you know, married, has you have four kids. Uh, Man, you've got uh, a, a lot to share here today about what all has gone on in your life in the last few years. Talk to us about, uh, you know, your journey. How'd you get into uh, wanting to be into politics? And then let's talk about the journey up to J6 and your time spent in prison, solitary confinement and all that. Yeah, well, what really got me into the 2020 politics was, um, you know, first of all, President Trump, I think, changed the game across the country in terms of uh, encouraging everyday Americans, average Joes, to just get involved in politics. It proved that you didn't have to be a politician to be, you know, successful in politics. So I think you really changed the game for for people like me all across the country. But uh, you know, I was very involved with the, with the pro life movement. You know, that's coming on the heels of the uh, the New York law where they, uh, uh, you know, made it legal to to murder a baby all the way up till birth. And uh, long story short, God had been putting it on my heart for quite some time to uh, to go to the abortion clinic and <clears throat> and 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 kind of stand outside and and. Uh, Right on the hills of that, my or my, my wife and I, we had uh, two miscarriages. So we got four kids. We had two miscarriages halfway through, and um, I couldn't sleep. God just kept putting on my heart. So I got up and, and went to uh, drove an hour one way to the to the only abortion clinic in the state of West Virginia, and just held up a sign. and um, And long story short, God started sending other people to stand alongside there with me, and um, we we kind of you know gave gave women another option other than. Uh, other than abortion, and uh, it was amazing. Had a pretty good following on social media. Had about seventy thousand followers on on Facebook back before they were completely censoring everyone. So it was, it was pretty good. And uh, and if a woman chose life, we signed her up on a uh, uh, on a, on an online registry and uh, through a baby shower. And followers from all over the country would buy would buy gifts for for these women uh, to help them get on their feet. Uh, if they chose to uh, put it up for adoption, which we had a few do that, uh, we connected with local families who were looking to adopt. Uh, we had attorneys here locally on standby who did all the paperwork pro bono. And then we signed the adopting family up for an online registry and once again through a baby shower form. So it was absolutely amazing. But we were trying to get our state legislatures to pass uh, a heartbeat bill here in West Virginia, and they did not even have the courage to move it out of committee. And so I was always I was constantly there lobbying them, and people kept saying, well, you, you should just run yourself. And I'm like, ah, you know, look, I, no Republicans won our district. So uh, I, I decided to run really just to prove a point. Uh, and to have a bigger platform to kind of share my message and my views. And uh, uh, I was, ended up being the first Republican in my district in over 98 years. And it kind of led us down the path of, uh, of politics, if you will. So tell us a little bit about, uh, I know you, you've been down the political road, but uh, on January 6, 2021, you decided to, uh, you were at the Capitol. You decided you were going to uh, explore the inner, uh, the bowels of that building. Talk to us a little bit about that as uh you know, because what we've seen on the media and what we've uh, seen from people on our shows, they don't, Randy, they don't seem to match, no, do they? No, 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 no. They no. seem like there's a little bit of a disconnect there, a little misinformation, disinformation from the side <laughs> of the media. So we would like to hear your story, Derek, just, uh, you know, from the outside of the Capitol, then when you got in the Capitol, and then what happened uh, as it progressed up to uh, your arrest and you being now one of the most notorious felons in the uh, United States of America. Yeah, well, I think it's important for people to understand if you've never been there, just how big this building truly is. I mean, it's it's a massive building. I think that when you think about January 6th, you have to understand it depends on what side of the building you're on and at what time you were there. You could have a totally different experience than someone else. And so I was on the east side of the building. There was no violence. There was no destruction. For the record, I was never accused of any violence or destruction, let alone convicted of it. I was never accused of it because I didn't do anything like that. Um but I was on the east side of the building. I walked through the East Columbus doors. It's the doors. We've seen the video. If you really follow J6 of the guy inside the building, he goes over to the doors. Nothing happens. He turns around and points up to the camera, and then the doors open. These are the huge magnetic doors that are built to withstand a rocket uh, launcher. Um, those are the doors I walked through. You guys saw what happened as I walked through there. Um, I think the police officer again and walked back out those doors. And uh, man, I ended up facing 24 years in prison, but all because I was the highest ranking government official they could get their hands on. I was the, uh, you know, the the, the only uh, elected legislator in the country who had the courage to go protest. I honestly almost didn't go to January 6th. So I was known for doing these sorts of things. Antifa had came to our area leading uh, during the summer 2020. I went 
uh, a couple times by myself and stood face to face with him. I got some old videos I need to try to pull off of a laptop of me standing nose to nose with him, telling him we can fight in the streets if they want to. They're not going to destroy our community. Um, and so people knew that I was not a politician, if you will. And so um, we talked about it. My, my wife, you know, I had three kids. My wife was nine months pregnant. We just came out of a grueling campaign. And and finally, I, you know, me, my wife and I, we were discussing. It was like, you know, these people didn't vote for me to send out fundraising emails. They didn't vote for me to sign on to some amicus brief that's not going to do anything. They didn't do, they didn't, you know, to, to start a petition, if you will. They voted for me because I, I said I was a patriot. I wasn't a politician. They wanted somebody who's going to go be their voice. And so when I went there that day, I was there not only exercising my natural God-given rights of free speech, I was there representing the voice of the roughly 50,000 people who just elected me to represent them. And uh, I think it's important for us to remember uh, that our, our, our rights do not come from the government. Our rights come from God, our creator. And the Constitution was written for really one reason. It was written to prevent the government from infringing on our natural God-given rights. And so, yes, I was there exercising my constitutional protected rights. But more importantly, I was there exercising my natural God-given rights of free speech. Well, I, I'm just thanking. I, I thank God that you had a mask on when you were coming out. I mean, <laughs> I, I, when I saw that, I felt they a lot made more me. comfortable. They made me. Uh, they, they, just, so I, I, it's funny. So I, I defied all these mandates and lockdowns the entire time. I went to the governor's mansion who to, who claimed to, you know that he was the king all of a sudden and he could just pass these edicts. And I dared them to arrest me. I said, come on. If this is illegal, I'm here. I am not wearing a mask in front of the governor's mansion. Come and arrest me. I don't care because it, I knew they didn't have the law on their side. When the feds arrest you and you're, cu you're cuffed, they, uh, they, they make they put the mask on you. And actually, the whole ride there, I kept taking my chin and because I can't breathe those things on. I hate those things. And um, so, so that so, yeah. picture, were you, uh, let me go back to that. I was coming out of the federal building. I just, uh, just got released uh, on January. I was arrested January 8th. Okay. I was in okay. front of a local magistrate. They let me out on bond and that's me walking out. So that those are the clothes I was arrested in. So, Wait, you, you said you were, you were arrested January 8th? Yes, two days after January 6th. How did they even catch up with you that quick and find you so, and track you down? So like, I told you guys like, I had a big following on social media. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Um, definitely not anything more than Democrats have ever done when they've protested in those buildings. I live streamed the entire thing from beginning to end. I have hours oh of live stream footage. I live streamed the entire event. Um, and so what happened was a couple of liberals, uh, this lady who ran for U.S. Senate here in West Virginia and got smoked because we're not a blue state. But anyways, she clipped out the part of that of, of me going into the building. And uh, by January 7th, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, all the late night shows, I was everywhere. I was the Honestly, I was the original face of January 6th. I didn't know it at the time. I was kind of thankful uh, that the shaman and others ended up <laughs> getting there because early on it ended up being us three. But the first 24 hours... It was all directed at me because I was an elected lawmaker and they were saying, oh, see, this is, a, this is Trump elected a, a Republicans who did this to our Capitol. What, what bothered me was that the mainstream media would show footage of the west side of the building. You know, the violence and destruction people have seen was all on the west side of the building, primarily at the West Tunnel area. From where I was located, it was over a half a mile walk to get there that day. We, I had no clue those things took place. What the media would do is they would show the people, you know, fighting with police officers, breaking windows, and then they would cut to me going to the video you saw of me going into the building, and they would splice that together to make it seem as if I was with that part of the crowd when I wasn't. A lot of editing there. Yeah, and you they know did. what? We could go down so many roads on this, too, because how, how, how are you going to break a window in, in the, the Capitol? It's probably yeah. rocket-proof also. I would imagine, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, you can hear me in the video. I'm reminding people not to be violent, not to be. And the thing is, we've been saying that throughout the entire day on my side of the building. We knew we even joked and said, if we even knock over a styrofoam cup, the CNN is going to make it sound like, you know, we destroyed yeah. the city. And so we were very uh, self-aware of that. We were picking up our trash and you know, putting in the trash cans and um, on, on the outside there before we even got inside. We have no intention of going inside. Um, they had snipers on the roof, for goodness sakes. I, I, when, when these doors opened from the inside, I assumed that they were allowing us inside. Because, I mean, in my head, I was like, I saw earlier in the day how fortified it was in terms of just men with guns on top of the roof. And I thought, we're, we couldn't get in that building unless they were allowing us to get in that building. That's what I thought. Well, moment. when you said the guy pointed at the camera, he's telling the controller to release the magnets and open those doors. Yeah, and I didn't know that on that day. All I knew was that the doors were opening from the inside. Um, and that we were we were going inside. And and look, I've I've said this from day one. If they want to charge, if they wanted to have charged me with trespassing, 
I would disagree with that, but you know, and, and the punishment for the crime, you know, a hundred dollar ticket or something, you know, I, I would complain about it, but I'd go on about my day. But the fact that they charge me felonies and they try to take put me in prison for twenty four years for what you saw in that video, that's the that's the most what we're seeing right now in terms of January 6th and this weaponization of government in general is is one of the greatest humanitarian crises of our generation. What, what's taking place, even the people who broke windows, I'm, I'm not agreeing with it. I, 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 I would say that I don't ever support violence and destruction, but let's let the punishment fit the crime. Let them pay for the window, do some community service, some probation or something. You know, we, we had two Antifa members in Atlanta, I believe it was Atlanta, who were convicted of burning down an Arby's building. This just happened here in the last few months. Convicted of burning down an Arby's building. They got um, 150 hours of community service, five years of probation, and like a $500 fine for burning down an, an Arby's building. But I was facing 24 years in prison for thanking a police officer for his service and walking through an open set of doors. Yeah, because they're on somebody's payroll. So, Derek, yeah. there's so much I want to unpack here. Tell us about uh, the arrest. When you got arrested two days later, walk us through that. And then I want to get into uh, – we have so much to cover here uh, beyond the, <laughs> just the J6 and the imprisonment. But walk us through when they arrested you, and then uh, let's do a kind of a summarized uh, you know, synopsis of – you know, going to prison, what it was like in prison, how they were treating you by the staff, by other inmates, all that. Well, J January 7th was um, a crazy day that the media was storming my house. I mean, I live in a small town. In my community, there's more cows than there are people. It's very rural. <laughs> and um, and and so it was unreal to see. And I'm not talking local. I mean, local media was here as well. But I mean, BBC flew a crew in from Britain to come no to my door here in West. Yes. OK, so this is worldwide media. There was there were. Uh, 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 media people here from like Ireland and like, all over the oh, world. Man, you are a hero. Man, we ought to got your autograph. It was, it was wild. And so on January 8th, though, there was not really a lot going on because we left. I was like, we're not, I'm not leaving my kids. My kids are like, what's going on? You know, my oldest is five years old. And so we left and, and spent the night somewhere else on, on the 7th because uh, I, I was like, I'm not subjecting my family to this. We come back on the 8th. Uh, nobody's really here. Nothing's going on. And then all of a sudden, some local media starts showing up. And instantly, you ever get that feeling in your stomach, like something's not right here? Like, I just knew. And within 15 minutes of them setting up the local media, here came the feds rolling in, about 15 uh, agents or so with, you know, guns and everything. Did they have their guns vest. out? Oh, yeah. I mean, tactical, tactical vests and everything. And the first thing I did is um, I have a big, big window in my living room. I took my kids, put them in the back bedroom, gave them a tablet and said, here, play on this tablet while daddy talks to his friends. Because I wasn't only pretending to protect them physically but emotionally as well i didn't know what was going to happen luckily for me they just i mean they didn't knock my door down i think it's because i was already there because i mean they pounded on it and then i think I, I don't know what they would have done but i was like hey i'm here i'm i'm, I'm gonna open the door i'm unarmed you know that's what i was telling them about it because i didn't know what was going on and because I, I know that the media had portrayed me as some guy who was you know this terrorist or whatever and i didn't know what they thought of me and uh so open the door and and you know that's what happened they put me in cuffs and uh, my wife was gone. They they didn't they didn't tell me that they had been staking out my home throughout the day. They watched my wife leave. She was going to her final doctor's appointment before we had her fourth child. They watched her leave. They knew I was home alone with three kids, ages five and under, and that's when they decided to to come in and raid my home. And the hardest part of the whole thing, I remember sitting in the back of the SUV, um, and my neighbors and my grandma my, my grandma finally showed up. Were there with my kids. Because uh, my wife was, you know, 30, 40 minutes away at the doctor. And I, my little girl was standing in the big window looking out and she was crying, wanting to know what was going on where I was at. And I'm in the back of this tinted SUV. She can't even see me. But that was heartbreaking as a as a father, you know, uh, watching your your child go through that. And so it was it's a pretty traumatic events, event for them more so than me, because in that moment, you're just so shocked, I guess, that you don't really have time to process everything. Well, I, I caught something there. The media showed up and then the feds showed up. Yep. They Roger what connection, me. What connections there? Yeah, exactly. So obviously they were tipped off. It was it was pretty it was plain as day that they were tipped off on it. And uh and so yeah, and, and sure enough, I mean the, the local media actually trespassed on my property to go get their footage and I was like, Well, why aren't you arresting them for throwing them in prison? That's all I did was trespass, if you want to call it that. So Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it was a wild ride. So when they showed up, did they have like their their helmets on and their funny glasses and all that stuff like right out of the yeah. movies? Yeah, and I'll tell you what's what's crazy though is for me, uh, they did ha have all that. Um, in a way, I was fortunate that they arrested me so early. I don't think they really had a game plan yet because later on we've seen 
that they rolled into small communities with literally with military tanks. They don't even knock now. They just knock your door down. They flashbang innocent families. They fly drones into the home and then they storm in and hold people at gunpoint all to arrest some woman on on misdemeanor trespassing charges. This is unheard of in this country, what they're doing right now. So you you get arrested uh, that day. Did they take you to like a local county jail? What they do after they threw you in the back? I went of the to the local federal building and they held me in a cell there for a while. You know, while they booked me and everything. And then I ended up getting in front of a magistrate. Got released on bond. And once again, I'm very fortunate. Um, early on, if you were arraigned through DC, you were going straight to the gulag. If you were arraigned in front of a a blue judge who hated Trump, uh, you were you were most likely getting transferred to DC and going to the gulag. If you were in a red district in front of a, a, a even if it wasn't a, uh, you know, maybe it's not a Trump supporting judge, but just a, a fair and impartial judge, I should say, then they would let you out on bond the way that they should. And I was very fortunate to, to have a fair and impartial uh, magistrate who, who allowed me out on bond during that time. And, and it, once again, it was because it was so early. I think the days after is when they were, you know, I think they got backlash for letting us letting uh, the first few people arrested out on bond. And then after that, they started just throwing everybody in, in the D.C. gulag. And so I was out while I fought my case for 18 months. And something that a lot of people don't realize that there's there's two things that I don't think most, obviously 90% of the country doesn't realize. When you get arrested, they force you to hand over all your uh, your banking information, all your checking account, all this stuff. So like they know how much money you have. They financially drain you on purpose. And then the other thing is you they say you have a right to attorney if you can't afford one and want to be appointed to you. I always thought Bill Gates could have a, a public defender if he wanted to. The government decides if you can afford an attorney or not. You don't make that decision. And so for me and my case, in my situation, my wife and I, it's all based on your local area where you live. My wife and I, if we made, uh, it's like a, if you make a certain percentage over the poverty rate so in your area, but for my wife and I, if combined with four kids, combined income of over $45,000 a year, they didn't have to give us a public defender and they refused to give us a public defender. So what's the purpose of you having to divulge all your banking and financial information? I, I don't know what the purpose is, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they don't tell you and they don't have to tell you. They say, well, you, you're out on bond. You turn this over. You can go to jail. <laughs> it will hold you there because if you don't do it, then you've uh, you've uh, uh, broken the, the, the your bond agreement, if you will, if you don't cooperate. So, so you fought your case for 18 months. And then what they do? Show up one day and just say, hey, uh, hey, Derek, it's time to go. We're leaving. We're going to prison. Well, so for me, once again, January 6th has been weird anyways, but for me, it's been even more abnormal, even even for a typical January 6th case. And I think it's so typically what happens is the, the government, you know, the feds or whatever law enforcement, they're supposed to investigate a crime, gather evidence and then go and make their arrests. Mm -hmm. What they've done with January 6th, especially early on, is they didn't really know what they're going to charge me with. They just knew that this guy went to the Capitol on January 6th. He's an elected official. We've got to arrest him. So they just arrested me and then they figured it out later. And that's, that's been the case with most J sixers, uh, at least in the first six months or so. So I was originally charged with two misdemeanors of trespassing and parading or whatever. Then a month or so later, they came back and added two more misdemeanors, which are the same charges. It was just different wording. And then they offered me a verbal plea deal of choose your misdemeanor. We'll drop the other charges. I said, I want to see that in writing because there's always something going on there. Mm -hmm. Some things I can't really get into kind of happened along the, the way there. Um, I'll, I'll speak generally here instead of specifically about me, if you will. But we know that part of these early on plea deal agreements, and once again, this isn't specifically about me. I have to say that this is generally speaking they would want people to agree to a couple of things. They would want people to admit that the 2020 election was not stolen, that they made a mistake and they wanted to people to blame president Trump for their actions on that day. And, uh, that was part of the plea deal. Yeah. That, 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 yeah, not, I can't, once again, I can't say it was specifically for me, but they, they've done this for multiple J sixers. Yes. And so, um, We'll just say that I, I didn't uh, really agree with some of the terms of the plea deal that they had offered at the time. And uh, so they revoked that, the verbal plea deal, they revoked that and then immediately um, hit me with the 1512 obstruction official proceeding, which is a 20 year felony. So in one swoop there, I go from I could accept a misdemeanor plea deal and have this over with um, and or, or, uh, to now is facing 24 years in prison. And I remember getting the phone call. I'm watching my wife and my children. They're in the living room. My wife knows the attorney's calling me, and so I answer it, and I get that. Man, my heart just dropped. You know, I don't understand federal sentencing guidelines or anything like that, you know, and so I, I went to the bathroom. I turned on the fan so nobody could hear me. I locked the door, and I just started crying because I remember thinking, 
I've got two girls, and I got two boys, two older girls, and then and then two boys are the younger ones. And I remember in that moment, though, for whatever reason, I just kept, kept mainly thinking about my little girls mostly. And I kept thinking, I'm not even going to be out in time to walk my little girls down the aisle and give them away. You know, my oldest is five. She's going to be 30 years old when I get out. Like, I mean, I was devastated emotionally, to, 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 to put it lightly. Um, we've had multiple J sixers who've committed suicide from, from, mm-hmm. from how they've been, you know, went through this whole process, you know, and, and then, and then, you know, they threatened terrorist enhancements on people as well. They've threatened, uh, family members. Well, you're, you know, somebody in your family did this or did that, you know, they, they, they've done, they, these people are evil. They really are. Um, so then the next plea offer was four years in prison. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I mean, you guys want to steal years of my life. You guys are going to have to come and take it type of thing. You know, they just sit there and financially drain you, financially drain you. And then January of 2022, uh, or yeah, January 2022, they said, this is your final plea offer. Take it or leave it. At this point, we know that there's no fair trial going to be held in D.C. We know that they won't move the trials out of D.C. There is no option of winning. Um, the option is how do you lose the least amount, live to fight another day and, and jump back in the fight, if you will. So the last plea offer was civil disorder, uh, which was going to put me at zero to six months in federal prison. And uh, my wife came to me crying and she's like, look, we need you home. Our kids need you home. I need you home. Like, I need you to swallow your pride and, and let's do this. And, you know, it was very, very difficult to make that decision, but she was right. Uh, my kids need me home. Uh, my number one duty is to my my family, you know, uh, God, family, country, and uh, and so I, I accepted that plea offer and ended up getting sentenced to three months in prison. The, the kicker here is that sentencing the judge openly in open court said, "I'm giving you three months because the federal government requested three months. If they would ask for six or more, I'd have given you whatever they asked for." And I took that as, man, I I would hate to be the next person getting sentenced after me because he basically just told him ask for whatever you want to, and I'm going to grant it to you, you know? Wow. And so end up going to prison for three months. And then as you guys heard in the story, I did eight days of that in solitary confinement for refusing the COVID vaccine. Well, I, I just want to say this is nothing more than we are at war right now. Yes. With our <clears throat> own government. With our own government, but I don't even call them our own because they're not following the rule of law, no matter how much the Democrats want to use that term. That's about as backward as it can be. I feel like, that these are casualties of war. You act, you got wounded. The gulag group, they're getting tortured. I'm yep. hoping that they keep themselves alive long enough to be pardoned at some point. I just feel yep. like these are kind of the the casualties of this war process until it gets all cleaned out. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. It's it's so heartbreaking. And you know, look, I tell everyone, you know, I travel the country, I share my story. People, you know, bring me to, to their GOP meetings or just different groups and organizations bring me in, you know, to, to speak on this and, and the weaponization of government, answer questions. And I tell everyone, look, you guys hear my story and it sounds terrible and it is, but it's only scratching the surface compared to what my fellow J6 patriots have went through and are still going through. I'm, I'm actually one of the lucky ones in all of this and it's still terrible. I tell you what, Derek, I, I, I want to unpack a little more stuff here on uh, mostly on the prison, uh, the, the journey, your time in the, in, in solitary, et cetera, how you got out, and then your uh, the path that you're on now with uh, you know politics and pro-life and what you're doing with your family. So we're going to be right back today with our awesome guest, Derek Evans. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm here to tell you about my new product from MyPillow, towels that actually work. Watch this absorbency test. Here's another towel that we randomly went out and bought. Here's one of my towels with the nice design. I don't know if you can see this, but you could line a swimming pool with this. I mean, this is crazy. Get rid of it. Towels that actually work. What a concept. I really love the towels. They're really great. They're super absorbent. I'm interrupting this commercial to let you know we're having the biggest clearance sale ever. Get our six-piece towel sets for only $29.88 with your promo code. My towel sets are made with proprietary technology and include two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to get our six-piece towel sets. Originally $99.98, then on sale for $49.98. Now we're closing them out for only $29.88 while supplies last. Once they're gone, they're gone, so please order now. All right, we're back with our awesome guest today, Derek Evans, who was a J6er telling his story, unpacking all the goods that uh, happened to him while uh, he was in uh, solitary and in uh, federal prison. Derek, you told us before the show you went to a prison in Michigan. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Back up just a little bit, how they, you know, 
did they pick you up at your house and drive you to Michigan? I, mean, I want to walk through that, and then I want to talk about the treatment by uh, the staff and by other inmates, et cetera, while you were in there. Yeah, so when you get uh, when you get um, sentenced, the judge can either you know, have you arraigned right then into police custody right then, or they can allow you to self-surrender. And they allowed me to self-surrender, so I drove to the prison in Michigan over six hours one way past multiple prisons. That's something else they've done to the J6ers is it's forced most of us to go to prison, especially the high profile J6ers to go to prison, not in their hometown area because they don't, they say that we're too high profile and it would be, you know, put the, put the prison at risk is what they claim. But I think it's part of it is just uh, the mental torture side of things. Right. And so, yeah, so I got there and uh, one of the first things they asked is, are you, are you vaccinated? And I said, no. And they said, do you want the vaccine? I said, no. They said, well, you got to go to quarantine. And I was like, yeah, what does that mean? And they said, well, you're going to the hole. And I said, oh, okay, you know, uh, how long? And that's back when we, they still use those colors, if you remember. We're on orange this week and yellow. And they're like, well, it depends oh, on the color. Right. If the color stays the same, it's going to be a week. And I said, okay. You know, but it could change. You could be in there for months. I said, I, I don't care. You know, that's fine. We'll stay, stay here the whole three months if I have to. And so uh, they threw me in the hole. And um, that was uh, that was uh, that was shocking to go straight from, you know, the streets, uh, you know, normal life, never being in trouble with the law, never been locked up to going into uh, into the hole, going into a cage, if you will, because uh, they even had the the, the metal uh, cage welded over top of the jail bars. I couldn't even stick my pinky through uh, through the holes uh, on there and uh, just a little slit that they open up to put your food through. So there's there's no human interaction or anything like that. Uh, no concept of time. And uh, but in a weird way, I'm thankful for this experience. It's the closest I've ever been to God. Uh, was in solitary confinement. I, I got a book on day five. Finally, here's the kicker: most people who like the people who break the rules in jail. So, so the hole is for you know the shoe or whatever. It's it's for people who break the rules inside of jail. So it's jail inside of jail, right. prison inside of prison, and um, they get out one hour per day. It's twenty three and one lockdown. They get out one hour per day to go outside and 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 walk in a in a very it's in a dog kennel basically. It's a cage. I didn't even get that because I was in quarantine. I was locked down twenty four hours a day. So. You go in there, do you have a chair? Or are you sitting like you see in the movies? You're sitting on cold, hard concrete. That's it. It's not just a concrete. box. They have a solid sheet of metal that's welded into the wall. And uh that was uh that was my uh my bed. And they they come give you this flimsy uh mattress and, and it's got plastic over top of it. I didn't get a sheet or a blanket or anything the first couple of days or so. I was literally just in a pair of orange government boxers, basically it's hundred degrees. Um, and, uh, and, and trying and, and having to sleep on that or lay on that nasty mattress. So I, I tried not to do that as much as possible. Um, it was very disgusting to say the least. Um, the, uh, water for your sink is connected to the toilet and it goes down into the toilet. And that's what ends up as, as you use the water out of the sink, it flows down and that's what they use to flush the toilet with, which is kind of smart in a way, but it was so disgusting. I only had access to scalding hot water. Um, and, uh, so they give you a little styrofoam cup when you get there and, uh, the, the water, uh, had rust in it, like a lot of rust. And so what I would do is, um, I would wake up in, a, uh, the night before I would fill that cup up with water and let it, the rust settle to the bottom and let it cool down to room temperature, which like I said, this is July at this point. So it's hundred degrees. And then the next day I would drink that as much as I could without getting any rust in my mouth. I'd rinse it out and redo the whole thing and let it settle throughout the day so I could get another drink of water later on in the day. And so if so I was lucky, I had one cup of water a day. Uh, if I, I could get two after I started doing it, you know, pre-setting it the night before, if you will. And sometimes uh, you could almost get three. Uh, but yeah, and, and so in the mornings for breakfast, when he brought breakfast, they would give you a little uh, carton of milk and I would just just chug that down because it was oh, the only wow. cold cold thing I had to drink and I knew that was going to be the only thing I got. So. Derek, did, uh, they yeah, issue was, uh, you a, did they issue you a, a pillow for Mike Lindell for my pillow to sleep on? <laughs> there, there are no pillows in, in prison uh, at all. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, the whole thing was interesting. And then after eight days of that, I finally got out and got into general population. And uh, things were uh, better in a lot of ways there. Uh, obviously, I'll tell you, when you first get out of that environment, you you start to realize all the things you've taken for granted your whole entire life, oh, you know, man. how green the grass is, how blue the sky is, the, the clouds, the, the fill in the wind, fill in the sunshine, you know, just hearing the birds chirp, all these things that we take for granted every single day. It was just like, I was just so, so grateful and appreciative of it. Well, let's talk about uh, other inmates as well as the staffers, the guards and stuff that were there, how, how they treated you, how you were viewed by them uh, as an outsider is, 
you know, I told Randy before the show, I said, this guy looks like Opie Taylor from, uh, you know, from the Andy Griffith show. Clean cut from West Virginia, got a good accent. You know, yeah, but good he, smile. He he outright lives the thug life. Yeah, now. he does. I mean, t- t- <laughs> I want to know who you were in there with. Talk about uh, the treatment from both sides and also some of your uh, fellow inmates. Yeah, so uh, you know some of the some of the notable inmates in there we mentioned earlier. You know, uh, off air is you can go to the the, the Wikipedia page for FCI uh, Milan. And um, that I'm listed on there as a notable inmate beside of the, the guy who was the Christmas bomber in the early 2000s who, from Al-Qaeda who put the, the bombs in his shoes, allegedly. Uh, there were uh, other Al-Qaeda members or alleged Al-Qaeda members in there. The alleged leader of the Sonola cartel uh, is in there. So um, there's, there's, and it's not a fun prison by any means. Uh, I, knew, I knew it was all segregated and, uh, and that you know, it's very uh, gang related, if you will. Um, so I knew that going in. I had a couple of people reached out to me ahead of time and was like, hey, man, listen, I spent some time. I'm a fan of yours. I just wanted to, to, to kind of you know, give you a heads up as to what you're walking into type of thing. And I was like, okay. Wow. And so I kind of knew that going in. And so I got out and uh, I'm walking the track on the first hour or so out of uh, general, out of solitary confinement. I'm walking around the track and these uh, two white guys come up to me and they say, uh, hey, man, where are you from? I said, West Virginia. And they said, uh, do you have good paperwork? And really what they're asking is, are you a child molester or a snitch? They're not officially allowed to ask you if you're a child molester or a snitch, but if you, uh, child molesters and snitches, that's considered bad paperwork. So any other charge is considered good paperwork. And so that's wow. what they're asking. I said, I said, yeah, I've got good paperwork. Is it cool what you're here for? And I said, January 6th. And they just looked at me. I was the first day six of their prison. And they're like, you know, they couldn't believe it. They said, are you for real? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm for real. And they're like, what would they get you on? I was like, civil disorder. And like, they, they were kind of like, didn't know if they believed it or not because they'd never really heard of this. You know, th- these inmates know the prison system better than the guards do, honestly. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's their lives. And, and, you know, so they were like, they were kind of hesitant at first. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit. And then um, they said, Do you want to meet the guys? And I said, Sure. I would, lo- would love to. Because I already, was already told, you know, riding solo is, is not going to be an option. You, you got to, he's you already like in a fraternity. You want to meet the guys? He's already getting yeah. in the gang. <laughs> that's <prison. right. laughs> Well, that's that's your uh, they, well in prison they're called cars. So uh, they, they say, you want to go beat the guys in the white car, basically. And I said, yeah. And so we go over there and uh, they introduce me to everybody. They ask a couple questions, you know, just different things. And do you have a co-defendant? Because they're trying to fill you out and see if you if you really did snitch or anything like that. And then um, I'll never forget. There's a guy, and everybody in there has government name or uh, everybody has nicknames. Nobody really goes by their 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 official, you know government name if you will and so there's a guy and i don't, I don't even want to use their nicknames because i don't want to get anybody in trouble know anything get back to me but there's a guy who's very well respected he is in there um for allegedly uh, a couple of bombings and murdering uh, government witnesses um but anyways he um he said Other than that, uh, he was a good guy right he, <laughs> he really was he loved me actually believe it or not okay. that, was was not, that was willie <laughs> willie was, was in there for the that leader well, he wasn't the leader of like the the white car, but he was an elder and very well respected. And so, what he said really carried a lot of weight, if you will. And uh, because uh, my mine was considered a crime against the government, January six, which he was a big fan of, he was like fascinated uh, by by meeting a J sixer. And so, it kind of gave me some street cred, if you will, with with him particularly. Um, and I can get into that in a second, but I'll never forget. <clears throat> he said. Um, do you see these two cameras up here? And I look up and I said, yeah. He said, these are the only two cameras in the yard. I said, okay. He said, do you see that wall back there? I turn around and look and there's like around this building, around the track, there's a wall back in a corner. And I said, yeah. He said, these, these cameras don't shine on that wall. I was like, okay. I'm, I'm confused where he's going on this. He's like, if we find out that you're at your line about your charges or you snitched on President Trump, we're going to take you to that wall and we're going to beat your... <laughs> and but, but they were Trumpers. They were Trumpers. Huh? They were pro oh, Trump. Huge Trump fans. <laughs> so okay, let's, and not, let's stop. Let's stop right there. <laughs> Just in your opinion, Derek, the prisoners that were in the Milan Federal Correctional Institute, what percent of those do you think would be pro Trump if you were guessing? I'm not kidding, and this is all ethnicities. I don't know about the child molesters and the snitches because I never really spoke to them, so I didn't don't really have a you know a gauge of them, but everybody else. I would say when you consider all ethnicities, all races, everything, I would say 75%. Wow. Even even the minority groups. You got to remember when I was there is when uh, the First Step Act was rolling out. These these black men who'd been locked up, 
under the 1994 crime bill of having a gun, being a previously convicted felon with a gun, for instance, who was in there for 5, 10, 15 years, some of them, they're getting out early through the First Step Act. They were very thankful and gracious of President Trump. And most of them had even said, look, I thought Obama was going to be the one who did some stuff for us. He didn't do anything for me. President Trump's the only one that's ever done anything for me. And, you know, I passed out red pills every single day. So, like, I would, um, I went in there with that mission and, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of fill it out if I was able to. And so I, I try to keep a low profile. Let me, let me back up. I tried to, I didn't want people to really know who I was because I was afraid that a lot of the minority groups, for instance, would think that I was this racist, terrible person because that's how the media had portrayed the J6ers up to that point. They, you know, were these white supremacist, domestic terrorist people. And I didn't want to have a target on my back for that. And so I kind of kept a low profile. And then um, people, Quickly, they're they're very smart. They quickly find out who you are. Uh, they have people on the outside who will Google you and everything, and that's how they confirmed that I was who I was. Uh, and then, um, uh, so kind of spread around a little bit. I'm sitting there one day, and this black guy comes up to me with a, with a it was either the New York Times, Washington Post, or one of these big newspapers, and says, "Is this you?" And I look down, and there's an article written about me going to prison. And I said, uh, "Yeah," <laughs> you know, I was kind of scared to say it. He was like, "Okay." And never really said anything else of it. So they all quickly realized who it was. But I used that as an opportunity to have conversations with people that otherwise I probably wouldn't have been able to do. So what I would ask, specifically the minority groups, I would say, are you a Democrat or Republican? And by and large, most would say Democrat. And either later in that conversation or a couple of days later, we'd kind of get back on the subject. And I'd say, do you trust the government? They'd say, no. I'd say, do you, uh, do you think the government should be the ones that's providing for you? Or do you think that if the government got out of your way that you could, pro you could provide for you and your family? Oh, I can provide for me and mine. Do you think that you should be able to have a gun even though <clears throat> you had a charge when you were 18 years old? Like you should be able to protect. So, man, you, you, you've ever been where I'm from? You have to have a gun. <clears throat> I said, well, congratulations. You're a Republican. You're a conservative. That's what we stand for. I pass out red pills every single day. That's nice. <laughs> so overall, you were treated pretty well by your fellow inmates. I was, absolutely. Um, the, the, the tricky part for me was, so like some of the guards, some of them were – just raging liberals, you could tell from the get-go, and they hated me, and they tried to put a target on my back. Uh, that's from 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 the very beginning. Some of the other guards, most of the other guards, I should say, were very sympathetic for why I was there. They knew I was there, and um, would would kind of tell me, "Hey, I just want you to know, I got your, you know, just keep your head down, uh, get back home to your family. We know that you don't deserve to be here, type of thing." But it it kind of created a bad situation at the same time, though, because. You know, I support these guys. I kind of want to just hang out and talk to them, you know, but I can't because I'm an inmate. You can't have, be friendly right. like that with the guards as an inmate. And so, like, you can't even talk to the guards by yourself one-on-one. -on -one. You uh, you have to take another inmate with you because, so that way you don't ever get accused of being a snitch. So the, to get to talk to the other inmates and have your uh, your cool conversational time, was it just that one hour a day when everybody was out in the yard? No. So when you get into general population, the yard, it, it, they have what we call 10 minute moves. And so um, there's a couple of times you have a, you know, a actual time you have to be inside uh, to, to, for standing count or whatever. Other than that, you can move freely throughout the compound. And so uh, on the hour, like at 1150, you have a 10 minute move. You have 10 minutes. You can move anywhere you want to within the compound. And then after the, the move is over with, you have to stay where you're at until the next move. And so I was I spent a lot of time out on the yard and, and, and just doing different things. And it really uh, one of the hardest parts was reminding yourself that you are in prison because I wasn't involved in the prison politics. Uh, but there was things that could happen at any moment that would actually would also affect me. And so it was kind of hard to kind of balance all of that, if you will, to kind of stay away from all the, the, the drama and the prison politics because I'm just there visiting. It's not my life. I don't live there versus uh, knowing what's going on as well from a safety standpoint. Did you uh, have to watch your back? Was there anybody you were worried about sh uh, getting a shiv and poking you with it? <laughs> of course. It was prison, man. I mean, I saw a lot of crazy things in there. There was wow. uh, a lot of people you know, with fights. There was uh, a guy chased another guy around the area once with with a knife and stabbed him because he allegedly stole his clothes hangers. I mean, uh, yeah, this, this was this – was, this is prison, man. I mean, absolutely. Uh, the last day I was there, we went into lockdown, like a major lockdown, because uh, somebody had, had had went into the room as commissary day, and he wanted the commissary and went in there and beat this guy up, broke his jaw, his nose, his eye socket and everything, and stole his commissary, and we went into lockdown. And um, oh. so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, – this, this, it was uh, – it was interesting. We'll just, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, so Derek, when you went in, like the first day you went in, did you know the day you were getting out? Like, were you able to count down? Like, 
every single day uh, roughly roughly i did i actually so this is another crazy i went in a, i went in a, i reported a week or so early because when i was supposed to report on the regular date i was going to miss trick-or-treating with my kids by a couple of days and i said uh so i called and said hey can i come in early and they're like what you want to come i said yeah because i wanted to be home i didn't want to miss another event with my children so early check-in <laughs> yep, check they left a lot on for me <laughs> hopefully you don't have a rewards card so, so, for frequent stays so how long were you actually inside those walls in Milan? Three months. Three so months. Uh, did, they, uh, did they come to you like a few days before and say, hey, Derek, pack your bags. We're letting you out. Or what? Uh, how'd that uh, release go? Well, so another thing with the, what they've done to the BOP in these situations, they really created a, 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 a hassle, really, for the, the counselors there. So typically when, when someone's been in prison, when they get to a year mark, when they're getting ready to leave within a year, they start the paperwork, start the process. Of, of getting, you know, these people uh, to, to, you know, find a halfway house or whatever it is, you know, to get them out. Well, for me, as soon as they did the entry pay paperwork, we're starting the exit paperwork because right. I was only there for three months. And so it kind of created a fiasco with that as well. Um, the whole system is broken. I I'll tell you guys, outside of the, I'd say, I'd say this way. So the, the prison for snitch, uh, for not snitches, but uh, for, for child molesters is, is way too nice for the child molesters. Uh, but for the people who are there otherwise, by and large, obviously some of these people deserve to be in prison. I've shared some of the crimes that they've committed. But by yeah. and large, most of the population, it was way too harsh, and they should not even been there to begin with. Wow. Well, and I, that's one thing that we would like to dig in with uh, on future shows, and we can talk a little bit about this off air. We want to talk about the uh, nefariousness of the Bureau of Prisons and uh, kind of the the – way it's set up to be a money grab because from what we've talked to other people it is a cash cow for you know that department that those systems and it's at the expense of a lot of times of inmates that shouldn't be there like you said and of us taxpayers but i'd like to uh, have you discuss that off air if we could after the show but so does your wife come to pick you up that day or how does that work derek yeah, so the day the day before I'm getting out is when that another big crazy thing happened. We're getting ready to go into lockdown, and so they come up, they're locking us all down, which is when they, they put you in your in your cell, they lock the door, you don't have any phones, they turn the phones off, you don't have access to any of that. And I was supposed to call my wife later on in the day to you know kind of confirm everything, you know, it's coming to pick me up. And I looked at the guard and I said, Hey man, I'm going home tomorrow. Can I call my wife before you guys shut this stuff off? And he said, No. And I said, Come on, man, like you know who I am, like and you know that I'm you know, I'm leaving tomorrow, like just help me out. And he says, I'll tell you what, I have to go downstairs to lock the main door, be in your cell by the time I get back up here, and uh, and then I'll, I won't turn the phones off until I, until I lock all the doors. And I said, okay. So I called my wife. I said, hey, we're going into lockdown. I can't talk about it. I can't talk because you can't talk about any of these things, even over the phone, as to what I just saw, because then you're still considered a snitch because they're listening in, and they they then you're considered a snitch, and I'm not going to do that. So I, I, was, I was like, hey, I can't talk about it. I'm okay. We're going into lockdown. If you don't hear from me, it doesn't matter. Be here tomorrow at 7 a.m. And she's like, okay. Are you sure you're okay? I said, I said I'm okay. Be here at 7 a.m. regardless of, of anything. And so the next day she was there, and uh, I think ended up getting out around 8 o'clock that, that day. So, yeah. So when you uh, when you left, did they just give you a little bag of stuff and say, "Here's all your stuff that you came in with, like your whatever your wallet, your cell phone." Uh, how Basically, that you know, so I left all that. I didn't bring any of that with me. Uh, I went in and and just a pair of like you know basketball shorts and a t shirt, if you will. And I, I didn't want to take anything more than I had. So I took a pair of shoes that I didn't care if I lost because I didn't know what was going to happen with any of that stuff. All I took in was my ID. Uh, I already knew my my inmate number by heart, two four eight three nine dash five zero nine. I already knew that, and so and that's uh, not tattooed on the back of your neck somewhere. No, not at all, man. I, I thought about it. I'm not going to lie. I, actually, our unit caught on fire once because people were burning stuff to uh, to make tattoo ink in it, and that was oh interesting God. as well. And so, <laughs> um, you know, and and so all the all the guards quickly knew who I was though, because uh, when I got there, as soon as I got out of solitary confinement, this this woman cop comes up to me and she's like, Hey, I'm your counselor. And I need you to come down here to the office and sign a bunch of paperwork. And I was already like nervous. Cause like, you don't want to talk to guards by yourself. Like, and, and so she's calling me down there and I'm like, Oh, I don't know if this is okay. And I was like, can somebody come with me? And she said, no. And I'm like, Oh man. Okay. And so I go down there and there's a stack of papers and has my picture and stuff on it. And I'm like, what is all this? And she said, 
well, uh, we have to notify all the the staff as to who you are. You're so you're high, high profile and who you are on the outside for your protection. You got to remember at this point, I haven't met anybody in general population, so I'm instantly I'm like freaked out a little bit. I'm like, what do you mean for my protection? Like, is everything that I was worried about really going to come true? Type of thing. And I said, well, what happens if I don't sign this? Because I don't want to sign this. And she said, well, then you go back to you go back to the hole. And back to personal, but then this time would be considered personal protection. So quarantine, we'd put you in the hole. I said, okay, well, tell me where to sign because I'm not going back there. And so I signed everything. And so every guard received my information as to who I was on the outside, inside. And so that's how they all knew. And that's how some of them came up to me and said, hey, we got you. You know, this is sad. This is happening to you. And then others were, you know, screw you. You're you're a Republican. I hate you. You know, so it was kind of a little bit of both. So, Derek, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I know uh, you're still on uh, heavily involved in the pro-life movement, uh, doing some stuff still in politics and uh, where people can go and follow you and support you and what you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, as you guys, um, <clears throat> as you guys saw in the thing, I'm, I'm not running for Congress. I live in one of the reddest districts in the entire country. I've been telling everyone for quite some time now, the way that we really save this country, I think the low hanging fruit anyways, is that we got to flip the red districts red. And no, I'm not misspeaking there. We got about 70 congressional districts across this country where it doesn't matter who wins the Republican primary, they're going to win the general election. These are the districts we got to get more people like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boeber, you know, uh, Paul Gosar, the, the, the House Freedom Caucus members. Right now, we have a bunch of rhinos who are wallowing around in these super red districts. We got to oust them. Imagine if we had 70 Matt Gates in the U.S. and Thomas wow. Massey's in the in the in the U.S. House, and at the same time on the Senate side, we got a lot of these smaller states. The same way, it doesn't matter who wins a primary; they're going to be the U.S. Senator if they win the Republican primary. Imagine if we had twenty-five even Rand Pauls in the U.S. Senate. So, <clears throat> I, I like to put it that way because I think it's bigger than me. But I'm I'm running in one of the reddest districts in the country. We have not spent a single dollar yet, campaign-wise, and uh, we're polling at forty-five percent against a six-year rhino. Uh, it's the closest race in the country right now for a, someone challenging an incumbent in the primary. I tell everyone, this is not my campaign. This is our campaign of the American people. We all want to drain the swamp. We want to send a message to the, uh, to the establishment, to the elite. If you've ever wanted to send a message, you elect a former January 6th political prisoner into Congress. That's going to send shockwaves across this country. We've had Amen. over 4,000 yes. 4, American patriots who've donated our campaign. We've raised about $250,000 so far already. Uh, we're not backed by the military industrial complex. We're not backed by big pharma. We're backed by the American people, which is exactly how we want to have it. And so you can go to my website, evansforwv.com. Uh, you can go there and on the homepage, there's a button to donate. You can click donate if you want to. Any little bit amount helps, even five or $10, because that allows us to build our donor base to go to the bigger donors and say, we got this many thousands of donors. So it helps even a little bit. If you want a phone bank or text or something like that for us, you can click join our team. Uh, and someone will be ha- on our team will reach out to you and, and help you help you get going with that. And then uh, if you don't want to do any of those things, at the very least, add us to your prayer list. This is spiritual warfare of good versus evil. We need all yes, the prayers is. that we can get. So go to evansforwv.com and, and check it out. So I've got a question for you. In Missouri, in <clears throat> we have a senator that keeps, keeps getting reelected year after year after year because s- – the, the pr- people that try to run against him don't have the funds. Yep. How can we overcome the lack of funds? It comes down to money again, money Plus. over, you know, over freedom. Or How principle. do we get, or, or principle, yeah. how do we get somebody that can compete with a, a, a year after year rhino senator? I think it starts in the U.S. House, and the reason I say that is it's 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 still a lot of money, but it's significantly cheaper to run a U.S. House race than a U.S. Senate race. Most of these U.S. senators were former congressmen, and it allows them to get their name ID out there. It allows them to build up a little bit of a donor base and get that name recognition to where then they can go and challenge a, a rhino senator in a red state. So I think it starts uh, in that. And overall, obviously, there's some some um, you know. Other ways to do that, you know, some ex- extreme examples you could probably provide. But I think overall, it starts in the U.S. House, and we get these people in there, and then they then they can step up and, and run for U.S. Senate after they've kind of built up a little bit of a name ID and and, and a donor base and, and and those sorts of things. I think it makes it a lot easier because you got to think. Um, for instance, in my state, you know, to run for, even in West Virginia, you know, to run for U, for U.S. Senate, we're, we're probably talking twenty twenty five million dollars in a primary, may, maybe more. I don't know. Where, and so $250,000 out of raise is not even going to be competitive in that. 
But in a U.S. house race, I'm, I can be very competitive even with just the $250,000 that we've raised. Now, I think we need more. I think we need a half a million to a million to actually win this thing. But that's a lot easier to raise than $25 million when you don't okay. have th- those opportunities to do that. And furthermore, I think that this is something I want to do. This is something I've been looking at and after my campaigns over with Win or Lose. Something that I want to kind of look into is, is getting a, a group of uh, people across the country organized. So think about all the, the people who live in like a very blue district in California or New York. They, they're, they're never going to elect a Republican there. So if they're passionate about it, though, we could get these people organized and then they could turn around and phone bank for someone who's, who's running in a, in a Republican primary against a rhino. And we could kind of, if we had you know a thousand volunteers who was willing to do that, we could overcome the money. See what I'm saying? Like because because right. really what you're doing with that money is you're going to buy phone bankers, you're going to buy door knockers, you're going to buy advertising, and so if you had uh, volunteers, particularly in these blue areas, who can never have a voice there, but we can help get other people elected in these re- Republican primaries. So I think I think there's a lot to do there, but I think that needs to be the focus. That's just my personal opinion. Okay. I tell you, we had several J Sixers on here. I tell you, your story is uh, it, it's up there with the best of them. I, uh, <laughs> I I like the details, Randy. Yeah, and we've got we had the one gal that was getting ready to go in, and I think she was going in for a year. Well, one guy he uh, we had an interview with him and uh, our show. He had to call in for prison like six different times because they only gave him fifteen minutes each time, and then his phone yep. would shut off. So then he'd have to put more money in and call back. Well, see, and that's, in the, a, that's in the pretrial in the jail. So like when you get to actual prison, you only get uh, a, a it works out. It's like three hundred minutes or whatever a month, and you so you're basically like ten to fifteen minutes a day of, of being able to call, and that's it. You're, there, there is no calling back in. There's no you, you, that, that's, and you can, that once you use your minutes, it's over with. <laughs> and so it was very difficult. And I tell everyone, look, if you're out there and you want to help a January 6th political prisoner in some way, write a letter, seriously, look them up, find them. You can go to the Patriot Mail Project and some other places and, and find the, a list of all the J6 prisoners and write a letter. And the reason I say that is I, I broke my, my day up into two separate chunks. So the morning around you know 10 or so, I would call my, my family and I would, you know, just, briefly talk to my family and, and, and give them an update and just hear how their life is doing all those things. And then from there, I looked forward to 4 PM because 4 PM is when uh, mail call was. And I knew I was going to get letters from American Patriots all over the country. And so I'd, it was basically like my second wind of the day was getting these letters from just random Patriots all across the country. Uh, you only get, you only get access to about 20 stamps per week. So don't take it personal if they don't write you back. I promise you, they're going to read every single letter that you write them. There's nothing else to do in there. I promise you they're going to read them. They're going to appreciate them, and, and you're going to really help uh, lift up their spirits more in more ways than you could ever imagine. Yeah, Derek, I, I'm, I'm curious. While you were gone and then you call your call home, what do your kids, do they realize you're in jail? No, I'm, I'm so, once again, I'm very fortunate. So my oldest was you know six at the time I went to, to prison, and <clears throat> um, I, I just told him I was going out of town to work. And um, that's how we handled it. Good. And um, my wife uh, would put them on speakerphone and, and talk with them. And, and she would try to talk or cover up whenever we would say, this is a call from a federal prison, you know. And <laughs> oh, as best yeah. as could. Uh, my oldest uh, has asked a lot of questions. And, and look, I, I tell everybody, when they get a little older, I have no problem sitting down and explaining all of this in great detail. But I, I think that it's my duty as their father to protect their innocent minds as long as I possibly can surrounding all this. But, you know, three months to a, to a toddler might as well be an attorney when, 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 you know, I was a dad who's around every single day. My wife is a nurse. She works 12 hour shifts. She works one week on, one week off. And so the week that she's on, she's working, you know, either 7A to 7P or 11A to 11P. And so um, I'm, I'm, you know, by all definitions, I'm basically a single father in that aspect. I'm the one that takes them to school and picks them up, takes them to ball practice, cooks, and, you know, does their home, you know, all these things. And and not not that I'm complaining. I love to do it. I'm just saying. And so uh, I was very, very daily oriented part of my my children's life. And so the first time I traveled after getting out of prison was CPAC last February. And I didn't think anything of it. They said, where are you going? And I said, I'm I'm going out of town for work. Not a big deal. I'll, I'll be back. And I didn't think anything of it, honestly. And my wife texted me the first day of CPAC. It broke my heart. And she said, uh, I know you're super busy, but I need you to make some time to FaceTime with the kids because they're petrified you're not going going home because you're out of town for work. They're afraid you're not wow. coming back just like the last time because they remembered that the last time I said I was going out of town for work that I wasn't, I didn't come home. And that's Three what they're months. afraid of. Yep. Derek, is there yep. a book on the horizon? I do have a book, actually. I've already written one. Um, it's actually right here. You can get it on Amazon and other places. It's called uh, Political Prisoner, The Untold Story of January 6th. 
Uh, this book uh, specifically doesn't really get into the prison details. I wrote this from prison, so I don't have a lot of details of prison. It's really about, uh, it's, not a, it's not a long book. I didn't want it to be long. I didn't want it to be a hard read or anything like that. Just written very simple. Kind of really details the journey of a little bit of the day of January 6th and the aftermath and everything leading up to going into prison. I think it might cover like the first night or so of prison because like I said, I wrote this from prison. And uh, so people are going to read that. And I'm, I've, I, one of the things I did while I was there, and I don't know if I've ever even talked about this on air before. Beyond, I may have. I don't know. But I took daily uh, journal entries every single day when I was in prison. And then every Friday, and I'd hide them because I didn't want anybody to find them and think that I'm like you know, playing the snitch or something. Snitch. You know? So I took very detailed notes. And then every Friday, I would mail them home to myself. So I have them here at the house. And I'm planning to write a book about uh, just my experience in prison as well at some point. That's fascinating. <laughs> uh, one more thing before we go, Derek. I would like to know why you only spent three months in, but you have others that have been in there now going on three years. What's, uh, wh- what's the difference in, uh, in sentencing? Yeah, so it depends on what you end up getting charged with um, and convicted of or plead guilty to and your previous uh, criminal records, if you had any as well. Um, so there's a lot of factors that they use to go into that. Um, and so really, like I said, there's some people, I don't think that there's any of these uh, punishments that fit the crime for any of these people. I think it's heartbreaking. 100%. Some of these people have been being sentenced to years in prison. Um, and, you know, some of these people were charged with some very crazy outlandish, I mean, all of them are, but I mean, over the top crazy charges. They couldn't accept a plea deal. If they were going to accept a plea deal, they would have still been going to prison for 30 years, you know, and so that's like off the table. So they have to go to trial, even though they know they can't win. And then they're, they're kind of playing the long game of, I know I'm going to be found guilty, but maybe I can appeal this and get my life back at some point. And that's their only option because, I mean, when you're, when you're charged with so, so many of these charges that are, like I said, potentially life in prison, I mean, goodness gracious, I think President Trump's facing 800 to 1,000 years in prison or something. You know, they're, they're, those are off the table. But um, for me, they came and they said, you know, you can do this and zero to six months in prison. And I, I said, OK, and was hoping for zero. I knew it wasn't going to be zero. And so uh, that, that's kind of how it came about. And so it, it's hit or miss. There's, you know, some people have uh, got to go to a camp. Some people have went to high security prison. Some have went to Lowe's and some have went to it's just it's all over the board. There is no rhyme or reason for a lot of the things that they're doing right now. There's a guy, uh, man, what's his last name? I'm going to kick myself. His name's Alex. Uh, young kid, man. He, uh, no, no criminal history. Um, all of us are eligible for a camp, just, just for the record. So, so the way the prison system works is there's camps, which is the lowest uh, period. Then you have a low, then you have a medium, then you have a high. Um, and then obviously some of the lows are worse than the medium, some of the mediums, you know, whatever, you know, or worse than the highs. But um, w- when you get into the high security prisons, th- this is uh, some serious, I mean, I, I haven't been there, but I mean, I know for a fact, this is some serious stuff where like your initiation into the, into the, 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 the car, or the gang you're going to ride with is, is potentially stabbing people. Okay. I mean, that's how serious this is. These, these people, it's bad. And uh, this kid, Alex, is a J6er, nonviolent, no previous criminal history, like 19, 20 years old, eligible for a camp. And they put this kid in a high security prison. And uh, it's heartbreaking just knowing what I know, what he's going through every single day from a mental and physical standpoint. And, and he's probably never going to be the same when he gets out. I mean, I'm not the same. And so I can imagine what he's what he's going to go through, you know, and uh, it's what they're doing right now is just absolutely disgusting. Rachel Powell, she broke a window on January 6th and she's the first to say she should have broke a window. But the punishment should fit the crime. And um, she is going to a no previous criminal record. She's got like six kids or something. She's got a lot of kids. Uh, She's going to a medium security prison. Uh, this is this is not okay. I mean, uh, let her pay for the window, do some community service, some probation or something maybe. Uh, but she's going to a medium security prison for I think like four years for for, for that. I mean, this unbelievable. is unbelievable. Well, Derek, unbelievable. I mean, what we're seeing is <clears throat> it's like uh, war crime court. Yeah, but none of these judges—they're just doing this based on what they feel from their gut. I don't—I I mean, what they're showing the public is they're not even following the rule of law. They're just making arbitrary decisions to make a point and scare the people. Well, I'll tell everyone. So, there's a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, the court system—we talk about the weaponized DOJ. 
what's really worse is the weaponized court system right now because if we had a fair and impartial court system a weaponized doj could bring all the charges they wanted and it wouldn't matter it would it would it would right. just, it would it would be squashed down as soon as it got to a fair and impartial court system so the to me the weaponized court system is worse than the weaponized doj derek one last question on a one to ten one the lowest ten the highest how corrupt do you think our federal government is uh 12 Perfect. i'm with you great answer all right, Derek. Thank really you so corrupt. much for coming on. I, we, we had so many things, Randy, we want to cover with you. I, I foresee a part two coming back. Are you okay with that at some point? Would love to, would love to come back for a part two. Absolutely. We, we, we covered uh, prison in detail here, which was uh, really what I wanted to dig into. But he, Derek has so much more he wants to talk about from uh, you know border invasion and inflation and you know the yep. China stolen election. I think we need to have a part two, Randy. Oh, we do. We're going to do it. Derek, thank you so much for coming on here, my friend. We uh, we appreciate your uh, your patriotism, the way you stood up for your country, your family, and uh, just the, the the how you just persevered through all this. It, it just amazes me how you were uh, you came out a better person. I assume. Well, I, I definitely did. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to part two. All right, we hope to have you back on one more time. Your website for our viewers and our audience. Yep, it's uh, evansforwv.com. You can also find me on Twitter, True Social, Getter, all those places as well, but evansforwv.com. Awesome. All right, guys, thanks for watching this episode. If you would, please go out there, like, follow, subscribe, and share. Give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Take care. See you. Thanks for watching another exciting episode of Patriots with Grit. We want to keep you informed, so if you would, just go over to PatriotsWithGrit.com and give us your first name and your email so we can keep you up to date. Also, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so we can keep bringing you truth. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. See ya.